The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Uh, It may be that uh, the greatest sacrifice we can make is that of gratitude, of thanksgiving, um, and how that's expressed. And that can be expressed in a, in a number of different ways. But having a grateful heart for who he is, what he's accomplished. And in doing so, um, we have a growing desire. If you're grateful, you'll have a growing desire to order your life rightly. And in order to do so, you must know the content of that. What does it mean to order your life rightly? This book tells us, and we're going to get further explanation for that now. Amen. Time of God, I'd invite you to turn to your Bibles, the book of Malachi, chapter 2. Malachi, chapter 2. In your bulletin is an outline. I encourage you to locate that and follow along, take notes. And... Uh, this morning, I, this, this text is a continuation, obviously, of um, the whole theme of this book, which is the dangers of mechanistic uh, Christianity, wrote a Christianity. Um, and so God here is addressing the various areas of our Christian life that can be negatively impact when we go into default mode, when we go into just uh, wrote a Christianity. And this morning's focus is on God's word. Paul says... Be diligent to present your, yourself approved of God, handling accurately the word of God. How do you handle God's word accurately? So this is as much about the pulpit and the public ministry of God's word as this is about your ministry, or better, or better yet, uh, the ministry God's given you with regards to handling God's word. How do you handle a God's word? What is the ministry that God has given to you, the deposit of his word? How is that ministry handled? How is that ministry executed? And that is what chapter 2, 1 through 9, ultimately is addressing. So we're going to um, read this. I'll read it, obviously, 1 through 9. And we're going to look at the, from this from, from two different uh, perspectives, as it is here, from the teaching, from the formal teaching ministry of God's people, which was the priests at this time, thus in our culture, the, the pulpit or Sunday school or name it. And then secondly, our personal obligation, our personal responsibility as God's people to whom the Lord has given such a glorious deposit in this word. So, brothers and sisters, this is indeed a glorious opportunity for us to come and fellowship with God around instruction on how we might be better stewards or good stewards of God's word. That being said, this is the word of Almighty God. And as it is his word, let me invite you to stand together with me as we read this passage out of reverence and respect for his word. Listen now to the word of our King. And now... This commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already, because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offering, your, I'm sorry, offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, 
and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, you have, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised, and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the the instruction. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege that you give us each week to come in the context of worship. And at, Lord, uh, this moment in our worship, uh, corresponding to the peace offering of the Old uh, Testament, Lord, it's our privilege now to feast to have this meal, um, to feast upon the bread of life, the the Lamb of God, and uh, Lord, knowing that it is well with our soul before you. And therefore, Lord, we feast as your children, as friends, as beloved in the Lord. Bless this time, O Lord, towards that end. Equip us and enable us to be the men and women you've called us to be in Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. When an activity becomes mechanical, or what I've called rote, it doesn't take long for the significance and the reason and the the purpose and the motive, all of those things to completely disappear. We do it because that's just what we do. We're no longer thinking why. We're no longer thinking of the benefit. We're just doing it, right? And when that happens... The irony is, if we do the rote, the mechanical, long enough, we can't do it long enough without us imposing our own, our own values, our own goals, our own purposes for it. Let me give an example. The Sabbath. God instituted the Sabbath in Genesis 2 and throughout Scripture as the means that he would take care of everything that burdens us all of our lives so that we might refresh ourselves in Christ. That's the purpose of the Sabbath. Yet God's people in redemptive history did it so often, so frequently, so much, that it became mechanical to them. It became rote. They just did it because that's what you do. Why do we do it? Well, well, in time, they came up with reasons. They began imposing their own reasons for why they did the Sabbath. It wasn't to refresh themselves in Christ. It wasn't to fellowship with God. It wasn't to get together with God's people and, and talk about what's God doing in your life. No, it became rote. And so what they did is they imposed principles upon it. Remember, the Old Testament, God's people went into exile. And one of the reasons they went into exile is because they rebelled against God's word. And so God's people, in response to the exile, said the reason we went in there is not because God turned his back on us, but because we turned our back upon him. So during, during uh, uh, the exile, the people of God, the leaders of Israel, 
Notice that in the Old Testament, the word work is used 39 times. So they said, hey, what if we doubled that? What if we squared that, doubled it? What if we squared that 39 times 39, 1,521, and they made up 1,521 laws of what you could and could not do on, on the Sabbath. And so what they did was rather than enjoying the Sabbath as made by God for our benefit in our walks, what they did is they reverted it. They inverted it. And they made man to be a servant of the Sabbath. Right? That's what Paul, uh, Christ says in Mark. He goes, man, you, you think that man was made for the Sabbath. And you've completely messed it up. Brothers and sisters, that's, what, that's our tendency. It's to, it's to take the things of God, become so used to them, and then because we're human beings, co-reigners with God, we don't want it to be simply rote. we got to make it worthwhile. And so we add our own views as to why we're doing what we're doing, how we're doing it, and, and more and more and more, right? Well, brothers and sisters, that's where Malachi found God's people. It's been 140 years since they entered back into the promised land. So the exile took place in 586 BC. All God's people were, not all of them, but the vast majority were taken from Palestine into Babylon. And roughly 70 years later, actually from 605, but 70 years later, they returned. And they returned to a mess. Remember that? So that's what Haggai and Zechariah, the prophetic works of them, was all about. To help God's people build the temple, build the city walls. That's what Nehemiah is about. Well, now it's 140 years later. The temple's built. The sacrifices are going on. The priesthood's been restored. City walls have been rebuilt. But brothers and sisters, gone were the days of the Shekinah glory inhabiting the temple. Gone were the days when a divinity king stood on the throne and we had power and substance and significance in the ancient world. No, they were now a vassal people subject to the Persians 140 years later. They're in that trough between revelatory periods. Remember that? Old Testament, all of the prophets was this glorious day of revelation where God spoke to his people. Yes, it was horrible times with bad kings, but get this, God was working. And then you get to the New Testament, God is working. But in between, during that intertestamental period, this is the last prophet given, and this is the last message given to a people living in the valley. And that's where we live to today. We're not living in the, in the New Testament era anymore in the sense of revelation and prophets and the whole bit. We're looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. So our day is just like Malachi's day. And what did they do? Brothers and sisters, they got, grew bored with God. Bored with his worship, bored with his Sabbaths, bored with his word, bored with ministry. They were bored. And so they began morphing it and changing it. And when you do that, look in scripture. Anytime you do that, eventually you make it man-centered. What's the purpose of worship? Well, it's for me. It's for me to come and feel a certain way. What's the purpose of this? What's the purpose of that? It typically revolves around me. And that's exactly what happened with God's people in Malachi's day. Their Christianity, their Judaism, their walk with God revolved around them, and it fell ultimately at the feet of the priests. Because the priests were given the charge by God to be the teachers of God's word. 
So God comes in Malachi, and this is a strong rebuke, brothers and sisters. Malachi's strong, but you got to understand Malachi 1, verse, verse 1 and 2. Would you look at it with me? The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, I have loved you. God wants you to understand, brothers and sisters, this is not condemnation. This is not God's angry. And he is just so fed up with you, wrote uh, Christians. This isn't an angry God. This is a father drawing near to his, to his children who are errant and calling them back. And at times it's strong language, just like you'd use strong language if your child were about ready to fall off of a cliff. You know, Bob, stop! You know, real loud, real hard. You know, not another step. Of course that'd be strong. And that's what this is. It's God stopping his people, encouraging his people, re-educating his people, drawing near to his people. That's why this book is so glorious. It's this glorious, condescending fellowship of God with his people in the valley, just like you and I. Now, the very first message he gives after this love, and therefore everything in this book must be interpreted through that lens that God loves his people. So this is not wrath. This is not a perturbed God saying, I'm at the end of my rope. I just want to get you. That is not what this is. This is a loving God fellowshipping with his people and directing them. The very first message you recall last time, Malachi 1, 6 through 14, revolved around their worship. Their worship had become rote. It had become a burden to them. So God addressed that. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, he addressed the priests. I didn't raise this up, but when we looked at it, but look with me at verse 6 of chapter 1. Son honors his father, a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord, a host to you, O priests, who are taking my character lightly. So ultimately, the buck stopped with them. And the reason why was... Because while we, I've, I've used this as a swath, large uh, 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 brush, um, saying the difference between a prophet and priest is a prophet speaks to people on behalf of God, and a priest speaks to God on behalf of people. That's, that's true. Priest's job was worship and prayer. But another facet of their work was the education, the discipling, the pastoral care of God's people on God's word. And so therefore, if the worship is compromised, it lays at the feet of the priests. It lays at the feet of the leaders who are charged with God's word. And so after rebuking and correcting their, uh, their faulty view of worship, he now transitions to the priest's faulty view of the ministry of God's word. And so that will be our focus this morning. Um, so let's dive in. Um, as we seek to give a, get, get a good understanding of how to handle God's word accurately. How do we do it? First and foremost, would you notice the ultimate issue? When you think of God's word, when you think today, men, women, children, uh, this coming week, having quiet times, being God's word, you must understand the ultimate issue involved when it comes to reading God's word and studying it. It's found in verse 2, verse, uh, verse two. notice uh, with me. If you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. We'll stop right there. This is the ultimate issue, brother. When you're dealing with God's word, when you're dealing with the pulpit, what kind of preaching should we sit under? You want preaching, you want, you want to approach God's word with this goal in mind. To come to a greater understanding of the greatness of God. Isn't that what Moses prayed for in Exodus? Exodus uh, 33. God, show me your glory. Show me the weightiness, the heaviness of your character. That's the purpose of God's word. 
The ultimate issue in our uh, approach to God's word, brothers and sisters, is that we do not read God's word so that we might have a pick-me-up for this week. That is using God's word. Or better yet, misusing God's word. I read God's word so that I might learn theology. I'm a theologue. I love I love knowledge. You're abusing God's word. You've just missed the boat. You missed the battle. You missed the war. We go to God and his word that we might come to a greater apprehension of the greatness and the glory and the, and, and the marvelousness of God. And that's the emphasis here. Would you notice what he says? If you do not listen and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Notice the emphasis. That's throughout this book. The word Lord there is the tetragrammaton, Adonai, or I'm sorry, Yahweh. Um, and being such, that name is the only name that God has that describes his, his, his character. Every other name in the Bible describes what God does. Yahweh is the only name that describes the essence of God. Yahweh is the to-be verb in essence. And that is God is self-existent. He's the self-existent one. He's the one who reigns and rules from eternity. He's never had a beginning. He'll never have this end. He's this awesome, sovereign, um, a transcendent, holy being, the Lord of hosts. And the second word, host, refers to the host of armies. This is the countless myriad of, of, of angelic warriors at his disposal, of which we now are soldiers in also God's kingdom. Okay? So, brothers and sisters, this is the word of a self-existent, eternal, infinite, unchangeable being whom God condescended to give to you. And our call is to read it that we might come to a greater understanding of the glory and the greatness and the majesty of God. So it's not about, hey, is this pulpit, does it, does it, does it scratch my itch? Does this pulpit entertain me? Is, does God's word um, scratch my itch? Does it entertain me? You know, I don't read God's word. Why? It's just so boring. It's so hard. Brothers and sisters, you, you are, you're talking like a, a consumer, right? <laughs> you know, hey, let's read War and Peace. I tried that. It's too long. I don't, I just, I don't do that. I like, I like cartoons. I like, you know, the, this is the genre that I like. Brothers and sisters, you don't approach the word of God like that. This is not one of many books on the shelf that you can read f- uh, for your delight and your entertainment. Now, there may be delight in reading it. You may, I, hopefully, you learn a lot of theology in reading this. So I'm not saying don't learn theology from reading the word of God. We want to be theologues. We want to know God's word. But brothers and sisters, if the goal that you have when it comes to to God's word is simply to get fun facts or simply to get a blessing on your way or simply to learn this thing that it might help you here, brothers and sisters, you've missed it. Those might be secondary benefits. But the reason you go to God's word is to come to a greater apprehension to behold God, to see him as he's reflected and revealed here. Uh, John Piper in his book, on preaching, it's labeled the supremacy of God in preaching. He wrote these words. Is this what people take away from the worship nowadays? A sense of God? A note of sovereign grace, a theme of panoramic glory, the grand object of God's infinite being? Do they enter for one hour in the week into an atmosphere of the holiness of God which leaves its aroma upon their lives all week long? Cotton Mather, who ministered in New England 300 years ago, said, the great design and intention of the office of a Christian preacher is to restore the throne and dominion of God in the souls of men. 
Brothers and sisters, that is, that's, the, that's the ultimate issue. God's, these priests at this time completely lost that. And because of that, they, they played fast and loose with God's word. They didn't read this as the words of an almighty being, a person, infinite, eternal, changeable, who is, who is so big, not just the earth or our galaxy, but the entire universe is but a speck before him. That's how big he is. And this is his word, his will. Do you read it that way, brothers and sisters? If you fall into the mechanistic Christianity, you just wake up and read this like you're reading the morning paper. In fact, I'd rather read the paper, right? No, brothers and sisters, you are approaching the word of Almighty God. That is why in the Old Testament times, when they they copied the Bible, they they sat in full ceremonial dress. And when they wrote God's name, Yahweh, Adonai, they would change the quill. And if they were writing that name, if a king came in, they wouldn't stand out of, res- uh, out of uh, respect because they were writing the name of Almighty God. Is that how you approach God's word? That, that, wow, this is the word of this awesome being. That's the ultimate issue, brothers and sisters. And it's, we need to hear this because we so often go to the word of God to get it picked me up. And when it doesn't do it, or we go to the word of God so we can get something to help other people, when that becomes the focus, we get discouraged because ultimately, brothers and sisters, this was not designed to give you a pick-me-up. And so you're go, you and I are going to be di- discouraged. And what do we do when we're uh, discouraged? We stop reading. We stop preaching. Jeremiah, I proclaim violence and destruction because for me the word of the Lord is result in reproach and derision all day long. I'm done preaching, man. It doesn't give me what I think. It's not doing what I think it should do. I'm opposing my values on it, and this should do this, and it's not doing it, and therefore I'm done. Isaiah 49, the servant Jesus Christ himself could identify but I said, I have toiled in vain. I've spent my strength on nothing in vanity. This is the servant in the context of ministry. This is where ministry brings us to the point where we say, I'm done, God. Well, if you're reading the word of God, get it, pick me up. If you're reading the word of God to be entertained, if you're reading the word of God, that you might be changed. Man, I've been reading the same verses over and over, and I haven't changed. So therefore, it's not working. Therefore, I'm done with the word of God. You're missing it. The ultimate issue when it comes to the word of God, you're handling it, is that it is there to reveal the glory and the greatness of Almighty God. Are you looking for that? Are you going to him in prayer? God, open my eyes today. Make that your undying prayer every day. God, show me your glory. Open my eyes as I read your word that I might come to a a greater understanding, apprehension of who you are. Got news for you, brothers and sisters. That is a prayer God will answer in your life. Secondly, brothers and sisters, as that is the ultimate issue, comes with an incredible caution, this ministry. Notice what that caution is. Verse 2. If you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already, because you are not taking it to heart. Now, there's a couple words I want to emphasize at first in this. If you do not listen, if you do not take it to heart, the very end, take it to heart. Brothers and sisters, the caution is this. When you come to the word of God, when a, uh, the, the purpose of the, uh, of the preaching of God's word, the elders, deacons, leaders, Sunday school teachers, when you are handling God's word, the most important thing, one of the most, not the, one of the most important thing is that you handle it 
as ones written to you first. This is not given, Greg, Greg, this is not given to teach you. This sermon, first and foremost, is not for you. Hopefully it's for God. And secondly, by application, it has to be for me. I have to submit myself to the word of God first. Brothers and sisters, when this becomes rote, do you know what we do? I've, done, I've seen this so many times in counseling. People, a couple not getting along, and one of the spouses comes to me, and they are really good and quick to say, God's word says this, and this, and this, and this, and they're not doing it. It's credible. Always takes two to tango, right? They know so much what their spouse is not doing. You know why? Because they're not reading the word of God with an idea that it's first and foremost written to you. For you, to convict you, to confront you, to transform you, to change you as you are confronted with the greatness of God. We miss that. So we miss this necessary element of God's word written for us and therefore, brothers and sisters, your greatest battle in your life, I'm telling you right now, will not, learn, will not be to learn theology. That's easy. It's logical, it flows. Your greatest burden in life will not be to learn the contents of Scripture. Once again, for most people, that's easy. And for those people that it's not easy, it will be easy. Because someday you'll know as you're fully known. You know the most difficult thing in this passage, in this book? It's submitting yourself to what it says. This is written for me. When I point at you, how many fingers are pointing back? Right? I got three fingers saying, Greg, you know, my wife, she's not being loving. What about you, Greg? Three times over. Yeah, and God's word says they need to do this. Brothers and sisters, we're called to submit to the word itself. Hebrews 4.2, listen to it. Indeed, they have had good news preached to them. Speaking about the Old Testament people in the wilderness, just as they are, for we have had good news preached just as them. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was, it was not united by faith in those who heard. Brothers and sisters, do you understand the flaw that we fall into? We approach the word of God like the priest did in the Old Testament. It's easy to do in the pulpit to come and go, this message is for you. It is not. This message is for me. First and foremost, listen to 1 Timothy 4, 6, Paul's exhortation to, uh, to Timothy. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Interesting. Timothy, this is how you shepherd. You begin by paying close attention to yourself and to your doctrine. So before you go preaching, I mean, guys, 1 Timothy 4, 13, he just talked about preaching. This is how you preach. And then after giving that, this is how you preach. The next thing is, now, now that you know how to preach, this is what you must do. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Notice with me Ezra 7.10. I love this one. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice and to teach it. That's always the order, the, the biblically prescribed order. How do you handle God's word accurately? One, you go to it to come to a greater understanding of God. You're going it as a pursuer of God. Lord, I want to know you. You're a glorious being. Open my eyes that I might behold you as I read your word. But then secondly, God, may everything I read, may everything I see, may everything that you show me from your word about you, may it make me holy. May it make me humble. 
May it make me godly. May it make me, me um, a, a grateful. May it make me a man or a, a woman who loves you more than life. That's what we're after, brothers and sisters. Yet that's not what the priests did in Paul's day or in Malachi's day. Just like Paul said in the, to the Jews of his day, they were the same, Romans 2. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Man, I can go to with the word of God and go, you know, God's word says addictions is sin. And I've got a cousin who's a drunk, an alcoholic, and I'm going to confront them with this verse. In fact, I've got 20 of them. Addiction is a sin. Brothers and sisters, funny that I would talk to my cousin about addiction to alcohol when I'm addicted to man's praises. And I don't even see it. I'm addicted to man's opinion. I'm more of an addict than my cousin. And if I don't see those verses first applying to me, I've missed the boat. That's how you get preachers, brothers and sisters, and leaders in the body of Jesus Christ who can preach against homosexuality and on the side pursue homosexual escorts. It's because there's this massive flaw in us as sinners. We can approach the word of God, missing that it's about God, missing that, that God is the hero in this story. Not us. We'll miss all of that and we'll come here and we'll use it to, to, to change people's behavior. You have just mishandled the word of God. How do you handle accurately God's word? Understand that this is all about God. Come to understand who your God is. Secondly, understand, brothers and sisters, that there's first and foremost must be something you submit to. You know what the word here means? Have you heard God's word? It's used in the context throughout the Bible for obedience. You haven't heard the word of God unless you yourself are submitting to the word of God. That's what we're after. So when you, as you think of handling God's word, God came to these people who weren't doing it. And he said, brothers and sisters, this is our brothers. This is what your children, this is what your ministry is about. Coming to honor and glorify me. And then secondly, submitting yourself to the print to the word, to the sovereignty and authority of God in your life. Now notice this comes with an incredible statement, verse 2b. This is part of that caution. If you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you. Brothers and sisters, this applies to you and me. And I will curse your blessings. What were the blessings of the priests? Worship, reading the word of God, praying on behalf of God's people. The very things that would be the greatest blessing of a leader in God's body would become a curse to him. Interesting. Indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it, because you're not submitting to the word of God. You're not taking it to heart. Now, what are we talking about here? This is strong language. Well, remember, the sermon I preached is all about, um, right between six, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, I, I, I gave you a topical sermon on this very topic where we talked about that the language of Malachi is the language of covenant blessing and curses. Do you remember that? And therefore, we're not talking about curses, not God's wrath. It's not God getting even. It's not God, God giving them a taste of hell. That's not what this is talking about. 
in the context of the covenant relationship we have with God, salvation, in the context of a covenant relationship with God, blessing or pleasing God describes a relationship where you are sitting at his feet and being fed. Cursing is leanness of soul, dryness. So I go to the word of God, and, or better yet, a, a covenant curse is when the, fruit, when the earth is not fruitful. Covenant curse is when my prayers are not fruitful. They don't grow me in my relationship with God. The reading of God's word is not fruitful. It's dry and bitter and arid. Right? Worship is not a time to adore an almighty God. It's, it's, it becomes rote and boring. And just like they were saying, how boring it is. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, do you understand what happens? Brothers and sisters, if you and I mishandle God's word and we do not strive to submit ourselves to it, the consequent will be you and I will grow cold in our walk with God. You say, that makes sense. You know the word used in the Bible to describe that? Curse. In the context of the covenant. Now the word curse can be used outside the context of the covenant to refer to hell. But in the context of covenant, remember that sermon, this is not talking about that. This is talking about dryness, leanness of soul, or the opposite. What, what, what did we just read as we came here uh, to this part of our worship? Psalm 50, verse 23. What did Dave read? Remember what he just read? Let me read it uh, to you. We just read it. 50, uh, 23. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And if you're honoring God, that means you're giving him glory. First point. You're giving him glory. You're submitting to the word of God and doing exactly what he's called you uh, to do. Um, honor me. And to him who orders his way, I'm right. He's submitting uh, to God's word. I will show the salvation of God. What's the salvation here? Not justification. He's talking about growth and grace. He's talking about God's people growing in their, in their ability in the middle of the fire to say, I love you, God. In the middle of difficulty to say, God, you're my savior. Lord, I know you walk with me. I know you do. I'm not talking about necessarily feelings, although it does impact the feelings. But we're talking about the sense of fellowship and communion with God. That, brothers and sisters, is covenant blessing or being pleasing to God. That when you're pleasing to God, that's what happens in your life. But when you and I are rebellious against God, what happens? Our lives become a desert. And would you notice it's not just our lives? Verse 3, behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring. And I will spread refuse on your faces. He's talking about when you did a sacrifice in the Old uh, Testament, when the priest did, what do you do with the waste in the intestines? They called that offal. What do you do with that? Well, you took all that and threw it out. God's saying, you know what? Offal will be smeared on your face, the refuse of your feast. And just like the refuse, you'll be taken out. I'm going to remove you from office. Now, this isn't applied to to someone outside of office. But for these priests, it applied. I'm going to remove you from office. And God has done that many, 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 many times. In your own lifetime, he's done that many times with many church leaders who fail to submit themselves to the word of God. What happens in the end? Many of them get removed because of this sin and that public sin and that uh, public sin. 
So that's what he's talking about here. But would you notice, brothers and sisters, forgetting that, this phrase, that, and, I will, um, and, and, and I'm going to rebuke your offspring. That word offspring is seed. It can refer to three things, or, or really two. It can refer to a, a literal plant that we plant, and we know that God's people are going through a famine at this time. The crops had failed, so it could very well be that God was punishing the people because of the leadership's rebellion. Possible. That's possible. This land, we've talked about so many times, this land is cursed in the U.S. Not because we got President Biden in the office doing horrible things, but because we got churches rebelling against God in the land. Okay? We've talked a lot about that. Right? When, when, when a land is suffering, where there's churches, where there's God's people, you first, as God's people, stop looking at them, stop pointing at them, point the finger at you and realize, God, brothers and sisters, will not be mocked. Okay, but that being said, so it could refer to the crops or it could refer to the children. I believe it's probably their children, as most commentators do as well. And the children here is not that they're going to get a spanking because of us. It's just simply Exodus 34, 7, the sins of a father passed to the child. Brothers and sisters, if your walk with God is cold and your child grows up in a home where you are cold towards the Lord, where the word of God is just simply wrote, you got to get through it so you can get on with life. Have your little check off Christianity. Christianity has become rote. You're going to raise kids who are also believing Christianity is rote. That's exactly what Baxter's getting at when he wrote these words, speaking to preachers. When I let my heart grow cold, my preaching's cold. And when it is confused, my preaching is confused. And so I can oft observe also in the best of my hearers that when I have grown cold in preaching, that they have grown cold too. And the next prayers which I have heard from them have been too, too like my preaching. He's saying, brothers and sisters, if you and I are cold as leaders, elders, deacons, if you and I are cold, our people are going to be cold. Parents, if you're cold, your children are going to be cold. That's just the way it works. So, so hear this caution. Our goal when we read God's word is to come to the understanding of who God is, his greatness, his glory, to understand that this is not about you and me. Therefore, when I read it, if I'm not entertained or feel inspired, that's okay because this is not about you and me. The, the hero of this story is Christ. It's God. It's not you and me. So when we read this, we come to a greater understanding of who God is. But then secondly, we read this as people who come and say, God, Line upon line, precept upon precept, show me your glory and transform me. We go as willing that if I read something in here that I go, man, I got to think that. I got to go say sorry to my spouse. You go say sorry to your spouse. I got to go make it, make it right between this brother and sister because I trampled under their foot. You go and make it right. You don't make excuses and say, oh, no, we submit. We come to God's word with the heart that says, Lord, let me submit to this indeed. Brothers and sisters, that's second facet with regards to God's word. Now, I look at the time, and um, either I started really late. I don't know what time I got up here, but it's, it is late. So I'm going to stop there. We're going to pick this up next time. And uh, um, we're going to go to the Lord's table. Brothers and sisters, take this. Take what you've heard this morning already and use it to be a people maybe renew your love relationship with God and say God I have been approaching your word for the wrong reasons why because it's become rote and I've added my own reasons to it take away all those reasons approach God's word handle it the way God would have you handle it and we're seeing it here already may God use this to quicken and open your eyes to see the glory of his being and secondly may God use this 
as a vehicle by which he would transform you and change you by and through his word. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. This incredible gift, this deposit that you've given to every Christian here. And Lord, we live in an age that has been entertained to death. And therefore, it's so easy to approach your word with the same reason we approach a movie or a video game or an activity. It's about us. God, I pray that you would give us the grace that that mentality would be cracked and broken when it comes to your word. That, Lord, we would come not thinking this is about me and my fun and pleasure and and what, what good this is for me, but that, Lord, I would come, we would come. And by coming, O Lord, you would open our eyes to get a greater glimpse upon you. Father, you would you would grow us in our, in our understanding of who you are. So, Lord, we are praying a very simple prayer this morning. Father, show us more of you. And then second, Lord, as we look at your word, grant us the grace. And this we know, Lord, is a grace that can only come by your spirit. Father, work within us to break us as we read your word. Convict us, rebuke us, and train us up in righteousness. God, I pray that you would do that work at Bethel, that we would be a a church responsive to you and responsive to your word, that our children would grow up in homes learning to sup early and sup deeply upon your word. And so fellowship with you and that, Lord, we would be a people. Uncharacteristic of the world in which we live, but a people of whom this world is not worthy. Therefore, people who walk hand in hand with you, Lord, we pray. Do that work within me. Do that work within the leadership at Bethel, the elders, the deacons. Do that work amongst the parents in this congregation. The, the adults in this body. Do that work amongst the, the children from the, from the oldest to the, the youngest. Lord, grow us up in your grace. And as we know, the hero and the champion and the focus of this book is you. We praise you now that we can go to another element that you've given us, this Lord's table, where we know that the focus is you. Lord, I know that we, I come to you this morning as one who himself is so easily um, in, uh, uh, approaches your word in a mechanistic, rote way. Lord, I do the same with your table. God, we pray that you give us the grace not to just go through the motions, but as we take the bread and take the cup, that we would take it and understand that it's a glorious reminder, declaration of your love not just for the mass of humanity or the group of people in this room, but for us individually. And therefore, Lord, receiving these declarations of love, God, may our faith be built up. May we feast upon you and may we grow. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name.